You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Charity's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 344. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A good Thursday show for you. A first-time guest on this show, psychologist Dr. Katherine Sanderson is on the show. And we're going to talk a lot about reality show contestants, the psychology that they go through on the show, what we've talked about for years, but breaking it down with a psychologist. Um, good talk today. In the first time you have her on, she's definitely going to be on in the future. And we'll get to all that momentarily. So the Daily Roundup should be up already in your feed. Came out a couple hours ago and just talked about a couple things, Bachelor in Paradise uh, related. Just the fact that there have been no pictures. This is the first time in nine seasons of Bachelor in Paradise that I can remember where not one picture of filming got out, whether it was somebody at an airport coming or going to Mexico, somebody at the hotel pool, somebody on a, on a date, whether video or picture, nothing all season has gotten out. And I don't think they're doing anything different. They're filming it in the same place that they filmed for the first, you know, eight seasons. It's just, it's kind of the luck of the draw. And while Bachelor Paradise filming ends in the next couple days, Hopefully, I'll start getting some things. I got a picture sent to me yesterday, but it wasn't of a date. Uh, it just kind of filled in a couple blanks for me, but nothing huge. And it only filled in, like, basics. It doesn't even tell me any about any couples or anything like that. So that's why there's no need for me to post it because it's not of any person or human being or a date, or else I would post it because nothing's been posted all season in regards to Bachelor in Paradise. So um, when I hear stuff, obviously, uh, they wrap up filming in the next couple of days. Hopefully, maybe I'll hear stuff this weekend and and get it out to you. Uh, but uh, I'll keep you updated. As, as we've talked about with charity season, nothing new to report there. And, um, you know, we're just at a standstill of hopefully I'll get this information. I don't know when, but hopefully I will get it uh, at some point. So... Talk about that briefly on uh, the Daily Roundup today. Also, I'm also talking about, what was the other thing that I brought up? Oh, yeah. The fact that, um, you know, while I said there's no pictures all season of Bachelor in Paradise, and it is kind of surprising, it, it does happen on occasion. You're just kind of at the mercy of somebody that just happens to be at filming. Um, but we also... I also talk about uh, Temptation Island and The Big D from last night, both of them. Episode 2 last night on the USA Network. If you're not watching either of these shows and you enjoy The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, uh, I, I, I can't see how you wouldn't enjoy these shows as well. Uh, very, they're, they're too, they're different, but they're the same in, in, in one aspect in that you're dating somebody. Now on The Big D, you're not separated from your ex-wife or ex-husband. On Temptation Island last night, they split them up, and we got what we get every season. 
the couples in those last few minutes before they know they're being split up or telling each other that they're the greatest and you're the only one for me and I'd never do anything to disrespect you. Yet we see the previews for this season and there's literally people, you know, taking shots out of people's assholes and stuff and, you know, licking whipped cream. And we've seen a ton of black light footage in the previews of people in bed together. So, yeah. Uh, we we have an idea of what's going down uh, on this show this season. It's just funny every single season to watch it and watch those couples in that last conversation before they split up just spill their guts about how much the other person means to them, and then within a couple of weeks, you know, they're sleeping with somebody else. It's rather interesting. And, you know, I talk about Dr. Katherine Sanderson today on the podcast. You brought up the fact that, Four previous seasons of Temptation Island. We don't know what happens this season yet. So four previous seasons, four couples every season. So there's 16 couples. I believe only two are together. Kirsten and I forget, I'm forgetting his name from season three. And then Shari and Javen, I think, are still together. Everyone else is broken up. So, yeah, I don't know. What's going on um, with Shari and Javen? But I, I do know that Kirsten and the football player, I'm forgetting his name, but they got engaged on the show, one of the best engagements I've ever seen in the history of reality television, and they are still married to this day. So I believe that's the only couple that's still together, if unless Shari and Javen are. So at most, two out of 16, that's one-eighth. That's what, uh, 12.5%? So... It's not a lot, <laughs> uh, but look, you'll hear Dr. Sanderson and I talk about this today. If you're coming on this show because you're at a crossroads in your relationship and you're using this show to find out if this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, you probably already have your answer. <laughs> you know, yes, I'm sure there's some people that are just going on strictly to be on TV and whatnot, but this is not the way to find out if the person you are with is your long-term, I don't know, solution to being in a relationship. So Dr. Catherine Sanderson, she's been on Jacqueline uh, Trumbull's podcast before, a little help for our friends. And I wanted to have her on this podcast because she's got a lot of good insight. Um, she's got a bachelor's, uh, and she's got a, a master's from Princeton University, her bachelor's degree is from Stanford. She's written books. She's a professor at Amherst College. And what I find interesting is she uses pop culture, reality TV, to teach her psych classes at Amherst. And I'm thinking, you know, back when I was in college, reality TV wasn't even a thing. But to relate it to things that the kids to nowadays find interesting, pop culture couples, reality TV couples. God, that would be so much more interesting to take a psych class now than back when I was in college and it was just getting bored by the teachings of, of Freud and Young and whoever. Those are the first two names that came to mind that I remember from Intro to Psych 1993 at SMU University. I do remember that, but and then I ended up transferring it to Loyola Marymount University. So but yeah, my first psych class in college, September of 1993, 30 years ago today. Yikes. Not today, but 30 years ago this year. 
anyway, um, yeah, Dr. Catherine's, uh, Dr. Catherine Sanderson, you're really going to love her. Really good insight. Love talking to her, and she will definitely be on in the future. You know why? Because I turned her on to Temptation Island. Well, she's already been watching Temptation Island, but I turned her on to the Big D, and she's going to start watching the Big D from here on out. Probably going to have her on at the end of the season and get her opinion what she thinks of the concept and the show and the couples that are on the Big D. All right, let's get going. Podcast number 344. All right, let's bring her in. Uh, she's got a bachelor's in psychology from Stanford University. Uh, she received both of her master's and doctoral degrees from Princeton University. She's an author, currently the Polar Family Professor of Psychology at Amherst College. It is her first time on this podcast. Let's welcome in Dr. Katherine Sanderson. Katherine, how are you? I am good, and this is truly a bucket list item for me. So thank you for this invitation to no talk. No way. Steve. Look at you. You got, you got degrees from Princeton. What do you care about talking to some reality spoiler guy? I, I will say that when I told my husband I was going to be on, he goes, okay, next year we have to go to the Las Vegas party. This is a sign. So, anyway. Oh, I mean, hey, the invitation's open. I, I mean, it's there. Might as well. Um it's definitely happening next June. I don't know the date yet, but yeah, I'll definitely uh, for sure. Let's uh, let's lay the invitation out already. Um, okay, good. so I kind of laid out your educational background there, but I just kind of fill my listeners in to know where your where your expertise lies and a little bit on on how it relates uh, to the reality shows that we watch, and including I don't know some of the shows that you watch that you kind of psychoanalyze when you watch them, if you do. Sure. So I will say that I teach a range of different classes. I teach introductory psychology. I teach advanced classes in sports psychology and in close relationships. But in all of my teaching, what I'm trying to do is to get students to understand the psychology theory and research. And the best way to do that, as many of your listeners probably can imagine, is to pull in examples from their daily lives, things that they care about. So I've written a number of textbooks, and in the textbooks, I talk about reality TV dating shows. And to me, reality TV is is so pressing and so prevailing in college students' lives that it's honestly something that they can relate to, and it's accessible, and it's also a way to teach them sort of key psychological theories and principles. So I find it fascinating. Well, you know, it's interesting that you said that because I was always interested in psychology when I got to high school and then in college. I didn't major in it. I was a communications major, but I remember taking a class in college called the marriage, uh, the psychology of marriage, which was, I, I've, mm-hmm. I, it was a really interesting mm-hmm. class for me, but I never, I never got a minor in it or anything like that. And I never really thought to, you know, do anything with it post-show. But I also I've always been fascinated by other people's relationships. It's why I kind of started a, a while back. I had my Doctor Reality Steve, where you know, just being an objective outsider, people can tell me about their relationship or marriage or you know issues, and you know, not being a, a professional, just offer my opinion as a as a third party as opposed to somebody who asks their friends what they should do. Their friends are always going to err on the side of a bias that hey, I'm your friend, I want to look out for you, as opposed to. Hey, no, this is my what you need to do. Maybe you should cut bait from this guy or this girl. So I've always been interested and kind of fascinated by it. And I think the fact that you say that, you know, I remember taking, you know, psychology and hearing about Freud and Jung and all that. But when when you do that, 
are you saying like are you replacing those type of principles and just kind of making the whole class about things that college students care about, which is pop culture, TikTok, reality TV, like you're kind of laying it out that way because that would seem really cool nowadays to be in a psychology class like that as opposed to the one I did when I was in college. It was like, okay, 400 students in my intro to psych class and, you know, bored to tears about just the basics. Yeah, so I will say my goal is never to have anyone in my class use the expression bored to tears. Yeah. That would be sort of like one of my key uh, contributors, but I try to pull in examples from all aspects of daily life. So frankly, after COVID, we spent a lot of time talking about COVID masks and vaccines and persuasion, but I'm trying to pull in examples all the time from what they've just seen in terms of who won the Super Bowl or what happened at the Grammys or why are people paying so much money to see Taylor Swift, that I am trying to take key theories and principles in psychology and to connect them to things that students care about. Because your expression just now, 400 students in a class, bored to tears, you know, you're not going to retain any of it then, right? Whereas if I'm making the link between here is what you're seeing in your daily life and connecting it to the course. Let me give you an example that I think you'll really like. In my close relationships class, the students do a paper and it's called a relationship analysis paper. And they have to choose a couple and it can be a fictional couple or it can be a real couple, a celebrity couple. And they have to analyze that person's relationship based on websites, based on magazine articles, based on television appearances, you know, or quotes in the newspaper or whatever, and they analyze it using psychological theories. And so I always have somebody do Kim Kardashian and any number of, you know, different people over the years. People have looked at, you know, Tom Brady's marriage. People have looked at Romeo and Juliet. They can look at anyone they want. But the key in that assignment is that what they're doing is they're taking something that they care about, but they're analyzing it specifically using theories and research that we've learned. That's super interesting. Way more interesting than I know that my, I mean, granted, I took intro to psych back in 1993. So <laughs> I haven't been in college in a long time, but that would, that would be so much more interesting nowadays to hear a teacher come out and say, this is what I want you to analyze. Cause then obviously I'd go straight to, things in pop culture and a, and a couple in pop culture, like you said, Kim and Kanye would be a fascinating dissection of that shit show of marriage or um, former I literally marriage. Had, well, I literally had, and then after they've done these analyses, they actually present them to the whole class. And I literally, the last two years ago when I did this assignment, somebody did Kim and Kanye and then somebody did Kim and Pete Davidson, right? So you, like, <laughs> you could analyze the same person in different relationships. And it's fascinating. And I will say some of the students choose, you know, couples from Schitt's Creek or Euphoria or Yellowstone or whatever. So they can, again, choose a real couple or a fictional couple. But as you just said, they're so much more interested and invested in the assignment because they do care about this couple. And it frankly gives them an excuse to go watch a bunch of TV or to go look at a bunch of websites. But again, they're getting in the psychology theory because they have to make those connections. I'm just curious now that you say this, did any of your students ever do their parents? 
They have to do somebody that's publicly available. So it can't be something that you only have private access to. So if you had like uh, famous parents, you could do it, but you can't do something that couldn't be like independently verified. Gotcha. Okay. So covering the bachelor and the bachelorette, like I have over the years and hearing all the stories behind the scenes, I think, I think the one thing that people that watch this show are very well aware of now, or at least they should be, and this and this term is thrown around all the time, and I'm curious to see if you agree with it or not, or if, or if you agree with, you know, it partially being this is this idea of when you go on the Bachelor or the Bachelorette, when you're cut off from the outside world, no phone, no book, no music, no contact with your friends, no social media, nothing, and your sole focus is on one person for the seven, eight weeks that you last, if you happen to last until the end, are you really falling in love with this person or are you falling in love with the idea of this person and what it can bring to you post-show? Like, can you really fall in love with someone you spend such little amount of time with who is also dating somebody else at that time? And the phrase that gets thrown around all the time is this show is basically a form of Stockholm Syndrome. Do you agree with that? So what I believe is that the contestants believe they are falling in love. Does that make sense? They be- they believe that they are falling in love in general or with this sole person? Well, it's got to be with, with this, this person. person. Okay. With this person. So, and, and the key is, so, and, and I'm making that really key distinction because no, they are not falling in love. As you've noted again and again on the podcast, you spend what, 10 hours? I mean, if you make it to the end... Do you yeah. get 10 hours? I mean, maybe you get an overnight. So then it's you, like, you know, yeah, it's like it. it's I think former couples have said the amount of one on one time that you have with this person that you eventually get engaged to is somewhere of 48 to 76 hours. But right. during okay. but during <laughs> that, that's just your time with them, not to mention you're not getting, you know, I, I use this example all the time. Like if I go out on a date and I'm and I'm dating somebody or any of us are dating somebody. At the end of the night, we can text them, we can FaceTime them, we can talk to them. It's not like that on this show. You literally get your time on the show, and then it's boom, you never see this person again until whenever, the next date, the next cocktail party, the next rose ceremony. So it's not like this isn't real dating. It's it's reality TV dating is what it is. So that plays a huge factor, and that's why I agree with what you say. Like, There's no way you, think, there's no way you are actually falling in love with this person. Like you said, I think you think you are, right? That's what, kind of what you're getting at? Well, yeah. Well, and but here's the thing. So, yes, you think you think you are, but it's essential that the audience believes they're watching a love story because otherwise you don't want to watch it. I mean, I think that's the key. So, so you need to believe that the people are falling in love and therefore the people need to believe that they are falling in love. And what I think is fascinating psychologically, and this is one of the things we talk about a lot in my classes, is that they have set up three specific things that create this false feeling of falling in love. And you've identified one, Stockholm Syndrome. You can't have a book. You can't talk to your family. You can't read the newspaper. You can't you know, have your phone. You can't do anything in that sense. But there's two other really important things. One, they are creating physiological arousal. So they are doing specific things that are making people feel their heart beating fast, their muscles tense. If you look at the dates that they do, the vast majority of dates on reality TV dating shows, they're not, let's go to see a movie, right? They're not, let's get takeout Chinese and sit around and watch the Super Bowl. They are 
bungee jumping. They are hella skiing. They are you're in uh, you're rappelling down a skyscraper in Los Angeles. You're in a shark cage underneath the water. Right. Yeah. All of those things are deliberate. And there's a fascinating study, which you will love. And it's called in psychology, the shaky bridge study. But this is literally what they did. They had people take a psychology study outside, doesn't matter what it was. And then you had to cross a bridge to hand your survey to the experimenter. That's the whole study. You cross the bridge. But what they varied is in one study, one version of the study, you crossed this bridge. And again, it was outside over this big ravine. And there were high handrails and it was very sturdy. And the other version of the study you walked across a bridge that had very low handrails and swayed back and forth. So you have this feeling you might plunge to your death. Hmm. You hand the questionnaire to the experimenter and the experimenter says, thank you so much for coming. You know, if you have any questions about the study later on, here's my phone number. Now, the experimenter was always an attractive woman. The participants were always men. They were assuming heterosexuality. And here's what they found. If you walked across the sturdy bridge that didn't sway, no one called with any questions. If you walked across the shaky bridge that was swaying, many people called to follow up with a question because when they handed their survey to the experimenter, their heart was beating fast, their muscles were racing, and they forgot it was, oh, I thought I was going to die on the bridge. And they said, boy, when I looked at this person, look at how my body responded. I was excited i was aroused in that sense and that's what they're doing in reality tv shows all the time that it's not just you're going to a movie you're doing these exciting dates that are creating physiological arousal so you're like every time i'm with you know ben or charity whoever my heart is beating fast etc <laughs> and you're not making the connection that it's actually because you thought you were going to die does that make sense no it makes perfect sense so you're saying these 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 um studies that walked across the bridge they didn't see this attractive female at the end of the bridge until the very end of the walk that's the first time they exactly. saw them exactly okay and if you walked across a steady bridge that didn't shake you weren't attracted to her if you walked across a bridge that swayed back and forth and you thought you were about to die you were like, this person is really attractive. And and here's the sort of jargony term, but what we call that is misattribution of arousal. You're, you're feeling like your heart is beating fast and your muscles are tense and you have a pit in your stomach and you're thinking it's because, oh, I really am attracted to this person. And reality, it's because you just created the situation in which you thought you were going to die, you know, falling over this bridge. And so contestants are... If you, whenever you are with the person that you are spending six hours with, you're doing something like, I am rappelling down a skyscraper. I am walking over this bridge. I'm in a zero gravity airplane, right? Think about all of those dates. Those dates are all designed to create physiological arousal, which people then misattribute and believe, oh, I'm falling in love with, you know, whoever, Ben. So what's the third one? You said Stockholm Syndrome? Third one. Yeah, that, good. Yeah. Boy, you're good. Here's the third one. It's called the scarcity principle. And the scarcity principle is things start to get more attractive when you believe that time is running out. This is an advertising technique, right? When it's like, 
last two days to get the 0% membership at this new gym. Or you watch the Home Shopping Network and it's like, here's the countdown. You know, buy now or the prices are going to get more, right? Scarcity. Scarcity principle drives attraction. And so what they have created in these shows is there is a scarcity of time that you have very little time, right? There's a cocktail party and it's about to end. And if you don't make it through this, if you don't get to talk to them this week, then you might be gone. So they create the sense of scarcity and this sense of time is running out actually makes somebody look more attractive. Hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. When you, when you break it down, like in those three ways it makes the it makes perfect sense and you know people ask all the time oh my gosh do you get these women to cry at the end of the episode that are eliminated at the first row ceremony at the second row ceremony like what are they crying about like how could you possibly be crying over a guy that you barely know and we know by now it's usually they're crying about something else and it's just making it seem like they're crying about the lead but it's more about tapping into asking them questions about their life why are they single stuff like that and they get them to cry and then they show them on camera and you're making it seem like they're crying about getting eliminated when they barely got to talk to the lead. So, you know, it's almost cruel in a way. It's almost, I mean, this, this show in and of itself is almost a, a a cruel social experiment because of what they're doing to these contestants slash guinea pigs. I mean, if you're not familiar of what you're getting into, it can really screw with your head big time. We've had plenty of contestants that have come out of this not well. Well, and I think – and you've done, by the way, I think an excellent job of promoting the sort of mental health issues that many former contestants, of course, including some who have died by suicide, have have experienced. But I think one of the challenges is that people are really bad – at predicting how they're going to feel. So people can tell them, hey, it's going to mess with your mind, or hey, it's going to be really devastating, or hey, you know, you're going to get hurt. And we are very, very bad at predicting how that is going to feel in the future. And I think that's one of the really hard things about choosing contestants and and doing sort of appropriate management of those contestants is that people underestimate how much they're going to be affected by it. You know, another thing that comes up a lot with this show, and I've had, you know, the Instagram account, Susanna Summers runs the Instagram account, Bachelor Data, and she does an excellent job on covering all sorts of data from this show. But I think one of the things that she does that's always interesting, at the beginning of every season, when we find out who the cast is, Outside of a couple examples every season, when they show us the 25 to 30 men or women that are going to be on this show, initially what Bachelor Data does is write down all their Instagram information, how many posts they've made, how many followers they have, how many they are following. And for the most part, you got your outliers here and there, but for the most part, the people that come on this show, when they are announced as the cast and you look at their Instagram account for the first time, they have no more than you know a few hundred couple thousand followers and these are all people because again for the most part the people that they are casting are not famous people they haven't been on a previous show before so the only people that know them are you know their inner circle or maybe somebody that they follow decided to follow them back then you go on this show and now all of the united states now granted there's 330 million people in the united states there's only a few million that watch the show but the few million that watch the show 
now all maybe choose to follow you or choose not to, but now they feel that they have access to your life and they feel like they know you based on whatever edit you got on the show, whether it was good or bad. And then that turns into post-show these people who had a thousand or two thousand followers, not just the number of followers, because clearly that's going to go up. Well, what I'm talking about is now they're getting attention that they've never had before. And I guarantee before they went on the show, when they had those thousand or two thousand followers, any picture that they posted, any video that they posted, all they got was positive reinforcement. Oh, oh, you look great. Oh, this. Now it turns into everybody is going to dissect how your hair looked in this particular picture. Or, oh my gosh, that dress looks slutty on you. Why are you presenting yourself this way? And these people are now opening themselves up to criticism, probably for the first time in their life. And not only is it criticism, it's public criticism. So now everyone else is seeing what other people think of you. And that is horrible on a lot of people's mental health on this show. Well, and you've also talked, I think, at, at length very compellingly that it's also really hard for their family members, right? I mean, yeah. there's times in which, like, they're a parent or a sibling or, you know, we can all imagine how horrible it would be to go through this. But if it was also, like, your kid or wasn't there somebody last year who's, like, the dad was really insulted? I can't remember who it was. It was one of the men. And wasn't the dad, like, really mad at the edit his kid got? Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to remember who. Oh, it was. Um, it, it, it was Rachel's. Was it one of Rachel's guys? Yeah, it was, Tino, it was Tino's dad. Yeah. Tino, it was Tino, and yeah. wasn't wasn't his dad like really angry? Yeah, he started making a bunch what? of comments on Facebook about about how this show is is fake, and you're not seeing all the you know not seeing everything that goes into it. And you know he had already known probably what had gone down with his son, but yeah, his right. his dad was not happy. And so you can also, I mean, the contestants are dealing with it, but so are their loved ones, right? So are the people who care about them and then are seeing, boy, people are writing this stuff about, you know, my my sister, my mom, my you know son, whatever. And I think that's also got to be really hard, the impact that it's having on your sort of the real people in your life, right? Your inner circle. Yeah. I mean, it's just just to be criticized publicly for the first time in their lives, especially on, you know, some people just decide, well, I got to shut off my comment section because everybody, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're labeled a villain on the show, people will just, they feel like with the, with the way social media is as great as social media has become, and it's become a major part of our lives. It also has some major, major drawbacks and it's just turned into, you got to have tough skin if you're going to go on this show because nobody is exempt. Nobody. You know, nobody in this world is universally liked. Somebody, even if they get a great edit on this show, somebody out there, some troll on the Internet in his mom's basement is going to find a way to insult you and tell you you're not as great as you think you are. You're not as great as your edit is coming across. And, you know, it's it just it's and these people aren't ready for it. And I think that's what the show does a poor job of is post-show, once this show is over, they're on to the next season and the new cast. And a lot of contestants have said, like, yeah, there's a psychologist on the show, and when you're eliminated, you have to t- you get to talk to them, but after that, you're pretty much on your own. And they don't prepare these kids. Yeah, I say kids, but, you know, they don't prepare these contestants for what's coming post-show. And if you start getting a lot of hate, how do I deal with it? I can't say anything because I'm not allowed to acknowledge certain things that may or may not have happened. And I think that's where they do a very poor job. They need, you know, further help post-show as opposed to just the day you're eliminated, go talk to the psychologist for 30 minutes, and then, okay, we're sending you on a plane back home. They need more than that. Well, you had a great episode, I'm going to say a month ago, two months ago, with 
two people, I believe it was two people from Love is Blind. Am I right? Yeah. Who are who are trying to start that, right? Who are trying to require some kind of ongoing mental health support for contestants. And, you know, frankly, that seems I, I mean, that seems like the least that the show could do, given how much money they're making off of these shows, providing ongoing access to mental health support would seem appropriate. I think you should sign. I think you should volunteer. I don't know what. I don't know what it is. It's like you can join their network of mental health professionals that is just, I guess, readily available to contestants who need, you know, someone to talk to post show because the show isn't providing it anymore, or at least right, it's right. just it's just hard to get access to it. Um, and it's right. just, and I think that's where and and that's where it's failing. And we can get into the whole thing about the the actual contract and where. You know, you know what you're signing up for, and if you don't, it's on you because it's right there in the writing of they literally the contract literally says they can defame you, they can lie about you, they can make stuff up about you. Like it says it right there. But I know, as you know, look, I'm I'm 48, I'm well past the age range for the you know going on this show. But I know as a if this was around when I was in my 20s and I was attractive enough to go on this show. I'm certainly I would certainly like skim the contract and be like, yeah, but that's not going to happen to me. I'm going to go on and, you know, I get it. I get why they want to go on. But then you turn into, well, it's right there in the writing. They they lied about you on the, and you get out there and you're upset because the show lied about your character. Yeah, because it says in the contract they can and there's nothing you can do legally about it. So now you're just stuck wallowing in your own, you know, just depression about, oh, my gosh, now the world thinks I'm this because the show showed this and i think that's it's horrible it's i mean it's it's horrible yet we cover it you know and I, and that's where i've kind of done a 180 for the longest time i just leaned into it and i just said i went with i went with the edit knowing that it was probably exaggerated and then yeah. i just and i would just destroy these contestants now i'm just like i, I you know i'm just I'm, I'm not focusing on that it's more about just the spoiler aspect of it but yeah it's 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 got to be hard on these contestants what and not even just Bachelor or Bachelorette, just any show. It's got to be hard. Well, and I think even in ways that aren't intended to be mean. So you've given some examples of people who say, you know, you look bad or you look slutty or whatever. But I remember an episode that you did with Amanda Stanton, uh, you know, a month or so ago, in which she said, you know, every time people are commenting, are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? You look pregnant, you know, et cetera. And, and people are not trying to be mean about that. They would be excited for her to have a baby. And so they're trying to look for those cues, but presumably those are also really, really hard comments to hear if she's trying to have a baby and isn't being successful, or if she's had a miscarriage, or again, if she's struggling with infertility or she just isn't ready yet. And so I think part of the issue is because people feel so invested after watching your life for a month or two months or three months on television, they also feel entitled to talk about personal things. I wouldn't go on my best friend's Instagram and say, are you pregnant? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, like that's just not something you would do. And yet people feel entitled to make those kind of comments. Yeah, it's the it's the negative side of social media that we talk about because especially if you go on this show, it just opens people up to thinking because I followed your journey on this show, I feel that I'm deserving of knowing what's going on with you. And if they don't post enough, it's like, "Oh, you're shunning your you know, you're shunning your fans." 
And if you do post enough, you're oversharing. Like, there's no win-win here. That's that's what it comes down to. The contestants are basically at a lose-lose when they get off the show. It's either too much or too little. And, you know, so, what do you do? So psychologists call that parasocial relationships. Yes. Do you know that term? Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's what it is, right? It's that it is a one-sided relationship in which – contestants are like, I'm not in a relationship with you. Like, I don't know you. The fact that you watch me on TV is not relevant. But people believe that they are really part of these contestants' lives moving forward. Yeah, and it's it's sad, and it's also scary at times because some get really attached, and you're just like, whoa, you know, back off. And, and then you get the trolls that will either – you know, do it under their actual Instagram account or even do it under a burner account where they leave their comments. And yet, you know, you look at their profile and it's like, you know, there's no default picture and their screen name is ABC one, two, three, you know, it's like, okay, you know, and it's just, it's frustrating because I'm sure Instagram has, you know, we know they have tons of, of trolls out there. There's only so much Instagram can do, you know, on something like that. And, um, cause I'm sure they get a lot of, you know, complaints every day of this person's harassing me. It's just like, oh, with all the people on Instagram, right. how do you get around to all that? Um, I, I wanted to um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about something else that you have, have, have covered, and that is the idea of racism and sexism in reality TV shows. It's something like you say you discuss in your classes that you that you teach. And I'd love for you to go a little bit more in depth with that if you could. I know you've covered this for Survivor. Is that a main focus one that you use or are there other ones where other shows where this is prevalent? So the first empirical study, so, you know, proven scientific study, not just, you know, sort of what bachelor data is doing has just come out, like literally was published in June, you know, this month. And it is a really fascinating and thorough investigation of looking at survivor in particular. And they went through across 40 seasons, so a total of 730-some contestants, and they examined both racial and gender bias. Now, I'm glad to talk about what they found, and they have not yet done that for reality TV dating shows, but I'll tell you, I am certain this research is now being done because they've done such a good job of it. And this is exactly the kind of thing that I think feeds into our intuition, right? It feeds into our intuition about both gender and race are influencing our perceptions. And of course that happens in the world. So it makes sense that it would often happen in reality TV. But this study provides very, very strong evidence that both gender and racial bias influence who gets voted out in Survivor and when, and also who wins. Yeah, I, I don't, know the exact results offhand but i know for the years i mean i've watched survivor since season one and i never i never paid attention to the uh the gender aspect uh of it and the racial aspect of it until about three or four years ago when i started seeing people when social media started getting big and there were more people covering the show i started seeing that oh wow um uh, people of color are getting eliminated way earlier than white people and men seem to be winning the show way more often than women. And why is that? And I, I'm guessing that's what this study covers. That, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. And, and the key is, is that they, they looked at the number of days that people last. And on average, 
men are lasting, white men, sorry, white men are lasting for around 26 days and white women and uh, candidates of color, contestants of color are lasting for around 23 days. So there's like a significant gap there. And what's also interesting is that it's very clear that there is a particularly big disadvantage for women of color. So men have an advantage over women, white contestants have an advantage over contestants of color. So women of color are particularly at risk of being voted off early. And you recently either, did you speak with former Survivor winner Marianne? Was that you? Did you speak with her or was she part of the- That was not me. That was not me. But she was part of this because she was a, a woman of color who actually won Survivor, I think three seasons ago. I'm, I get mixed up on my seasons. But, um, again, she kind of talked about going into it and is like, yeah, everyone's got a 1 in 18 chance when you first sign up and you're, and you're cast and you get there on the beach, you got a 1 in 18 chance of winning a million dollars. But, you know, kind of paraphrasing here, in reality, I was – I probably had uh, – my, my odds weren't 1 in 18, you know, kind of going into this because – of the way the structure of this show has gone and just by the data has, has proven it. It's just like women of color aren't winning this show. Very, very few in 44 seasons, women of color have won this show, you know? And well, absolutely. And, and the other thing that I found really fascinating about this article is that many people say, well, You know, the reason why the explanation given is, well, you know, in Survivor, you know, you want, you know, people who are bigger or stronger. And so that's why, like, men tend to, you know, stay longer than women. So people give all these justifications because people don't like to say, I'm biased. And, of course, that's what implicit bias is, right? You're biased, but you're not aware of it. And what was fascinating about the study is they also did an analysis of just people's pictures. So just people's pictures. And they said, how strong do each of these people look? Because even within men, some men look stronger than others. And even within women, some women look stronger than others. And what they found was that people's physical appearance did not predict their likelihood of staying. It's just that after you have voted off somebody, you give a reason and probably you believe this reason, which is, well, that person seemed weaker. That person seemed less helpful because that's something that's more acceptable to say and probably to think than, well, I had a bias against this person because they were a person of color or they were a woman or whatever. Yeah, and I've always loved Survivor. I think it's I, it's always been my favorite reality show. Uh, I, I, I love the social experiment that it is and the fact that you have to vote people off who eventually have a say in whether or not you win. I have always found that dynamic really interesting to where you're going to have to lie or fib a little bit on that show to get somebody to believe you're not voting them off, but you can't piss them off enough to where if you get to the end, you need their vote. So I've always found that fascinating. Same with Big Brother. Same, you know, same concept there where it's you're voting people out who eventually have a say in whether or not you win. And I just find that whole dynamic fascinating because it's a it really is. It's a social experiment. What Survivor is now since 2020, CBS has made a, a new mandate for all their reality shows that it has to be a 50 percent cast has to be BIPOC. And that was never the case in the first probably. So whatever, how many seasons were of Survivor were before season uh, before 2020, before the pandemic. That was always interesting to me because 
it's probably why people of color were getting picked off of the season early because there was three or four of them in a cast of 18. So again, you're in a situation like that. You're out on an Island. You're going to bond with, you know, who you're familiar with. And unfortunately that came at the cost of a lot of people of color on that show. And I think that's where the numbers and in, in that data certainly point to, but now since 2020, all um, Paramount CBS reality television shows ha- casts have to have, 50% BIPOC contestants. So we've seen change. Two, last two years of Big Brother, we've had um, a black man and a black woman win, which is great. And the black man won. The first uh, black uh, man to win Big Brother formed one of the greatest alliances we've ever seen in reality TV history called The Cookout. And um, mm-hmm. it turned into something that some people wanted to turn racial when, in fact, it wasn't racial at all. It was just six black contestants early on saying, We've never won this show. Why don't we stick Mm -hmm. together and not only win this thing, but, you know, not only win this thing, let's us be the final six. And we're going to call themselves the cookout. And, you know, Big Brother over the years has had so many early alliances that just, you know, they're gone in in two days. And these six stuck it out. And it was, I thought it was one of the, one of the seminal moments in reality TV history for that group to get as far as they did and then obviously end up producing a winner. Um, I thought it was great, and then some people like hated on it for no reason whatsoever. Really disappointing. Well, and that's also one of the reasons I know what you've talked about in terms of the Bachelor Bachelorette. If historically it was all white leads, yeah. and then there were ninety ninety five percent white contestants, then the two or three contestants of color typically got voted off in the first, you know, didn't get a rose in the first few weeks, then you don't have anyone to pull for to be the lead because you don't have anyone who's of color making it to the final four historically, yeah. right? Yeah, they never made it far enough. It just never right. happened. So you you can talk about, oh, you know, I mean, the show is hid behind it. They've gotten a lot better uh, in recent years. All you got to do is look at the cast, um, the full cast at the beginning of the season. They are at least casting a lot more BIPOC um, contestants Versus in the past years, you look at the cast photo and there's one or two. It's just like, okay, you know, and it's just they get it now. They're doing a better job. I mean, that's all they can do. You can't you still can't force your lead. You can nudge and maybe, you know, I mean, it will we'll never truly know because only the people behind working behind the scenes know exactly what they've done. And then the leads, you also have to have a lead that's open to dating somebody. That is right. not white. And, you know, sometimes you're not getting that. So it all depends. It's it's season by season. So let me ask you a question, though, which has been fascinating to me. Temptation Island has yeah. always done a very good job of casting a diverse group of candidates, right? Contestants yeah. and singles. Yeah. True? Yeah. Yeah. From I mean, the beginning. I, Looking at, I mean, well, we we talking about the beginning in the early two thousands or when they've no, since no, brought no. it back. No, no, no. I'm talking about what are we on like season four? I'm talking about like recent, yeah. like the recent, not not the yeah, not the version early. one. But but if you look at the four couples, I mean, I can't think of all of them off the top of my head for each of the seasons. But if you look at the four couples currently on Temptation Island, if you look last, you know, last season, whatever. There are people who are Latina. There are people who are Asian. There are people who are black. There, I mean, it's, it's and there's only eight. There's only eight leads, right? Yeah, they take four couples. Yeah, there's there's four there's four couples every season. And this season that's airing 
um, has got one white couple, and the other three are all uh, BIPOC. So, and and that is not atypical, don't you think? If you look about the last few, I mean, it is not a show that has typically had all white people. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, and sometimes not even half white people, right? I mean, I yeah. think it's a, it's it's interesting in that Temptation Island, and I don't know if that's deliberate or accidental, but it's striking to me how different the show looks, the appearance of the show in terms of compared to Bachelor Bachelorette historically. Yeah, no, it definitely, definitely has way more um, contestants, people of color on that show in the five seasons that it's come back to our television. So since 20, 2019 is the first one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or maybe it was 2018, but yeah, definitely, definitely has. And I don't know, as a, as you know, doing what you do as a psychologist, you're a psychologist, right? Or psych- yes. Okay. So yes. Yeah, as a psychologist, I've always said, look, if you are at a crossroads in your relationship, like they say on Temptation Island, most normal couples would not go on this show <laughs> to see if to see if they deserve to see if the one that they're with is the one to you know the one that I want to be with in the long term. Because I mean, you talk about um, I'm already forgetting the phrase, but um, um, you know, creating arousal and attraction. Well, shit, you're putting you're you're saying, hey, leave your girlfriend or boyfriend for a month, and you're gonna live with a bunch of you know, if you tell the woman, hey, you're gonna live with. 10 or 12 hot guys in your own villa for a month, clearly you're going to develop an attraction. You're immediately not going to be like, no, my boyfriend's the one for me. And unless you literally close yourself off to the experience, which maybe one person did, but most of them are just like, no, I'm going to open myself up. You're going to fall or have different feelings for somebody, but that doesn't necessarily mean the one you're with is wrong for you because again, it's a television show. You don't know if this person, this single is putting on a front just to quote unquote, win you over. And you know, almost that alpha male of, Hey, I got her to dump her boyfriend for me. You know, it's just the whole thing isn't really healthy, but it's great fucking television. I tell you that much as a psychologist, when you watch it, do, what do you think? Well, I mean, so, so this is, this is not a really impressive statement, but I will say, it's very clear that anyone who's actually trying to figure out, do I want to marry this person? <laughs> Temptation Island is not the way to go, no. right? I mean, that is just, that is, that could be like, you know, point one. Um, but, but what I think is also interesting in sort of the comparison is that if you think about the singles who get to spend a ton of time with the, whatever, the, the, the other people, right? The potential half of the couple, right? Yeah. The singles spend I mean, they live together. They live together. They're around each other, you know, all the time. And yet I can't think of any relationships. Tell me if I'm wrong. I can't think of any relationships that have lasted that are a single and one of the people in the couples. Isn't that true? Yeah. There was there was one I mean at least that that are together today, no. I mean I think one lasted a few months after the show ended, but no. Nobody Nobody long term has lasted. Certainly no single has ever married someone off of that show once they got them to leave their significant other. No, it's it's very short lived stuff for sure. It's very short lived stuff. And that's despite the fact that they get much more time together and they actually have a sense of choice. Right. So there's, you know, four potential 
guys or women or whatever that people could date from, you know, with, within the house. And so it does strike me as the people who are choosing to go on this show or the people they are selecting for the show really may not be in a point in their life in which they really want to settle down. And therefore, going on Temptation Island and having a free trip to Hawaii and a whole lot of alcohol for a month and maybe getting a bunch of Instagram followers might might play a pretty big role in their decision-making. Because otherwise, you would sort of anticipate that there were some love connections being made with the singles. How about this new show that debuted last week right after Temptation Island, The Big D? Have you heard of it? Did you follow I, it? I've heard about it only through you, and I have not watched it. But but aren't we only on, like, episode two or something? It's the Jordan and... JoJo show. Right? Yeah. They're, yeah. They're the hosts. Yeah. And it's, yeah. All, it's all divorced couples at a, in a resort in Costa Rica, and... Well, there's only been one episode as, the t- as of us recording this. There's only been one episode, but... It's the divorce couples coming together, all living together, and then you get to, you know, they put these couples through, um, you know, some dates and stuff, and then you can date singles from the other couples. But there are some of the divorce couples where one of the two in the couples says, you know, while I am going on this show, I'm kind of not over my ex. I'm not over my ex-husband. I'm not over my ex-wife. And I want to see almost like going on the show to see if they can woo them back. And I don't know, in, in, in your in your field, I, I've 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 always maintained a phrase that they're your ex for a reason. And then I'm not saying that you can never get back together with an ex. Um, but if you do get back together with an ex and you get married and it lasts a long time and you have kids, you very much are the exception and not the norm. Um, so I'm not saying that these couples can't make it if you have already divorced. I mean, divorce is a big thing. It's one thing to break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend and get back together, but to go through a divorce with somebody and then say, you know what? I don't know if I'm over them. I want to try it again. Have you seen in your line of work that working very often? No. And I will say, and I'm actually... I'm pausing a little bit because I actually have an uncle who I'm certain is not going to listen to this. So I feel safe saying this, who actually has been married and divorced from the same person twice. Oh, okay. So, so there we go. So how many years, so, how many years was the first marriage? How long uh, had it long before the, they got divorced the first I, time? Do you know? I mean, they were probably married briefly. I mean, they were young, you know, so they were maybe, I'm going to say maybe they were married three or four years. Then they were not married for about a decade, and then they were married again for oh. right, and then they were, but then they got divorced again. <laughs> yeah, but, it's so, interesting. Now, but, now that I think so, about it, for the big D couples, I can't remember if they said it in the first episode or not how long they've been divorced. They told us how long they were married, but I, I would think it doesn't look like any of these couples are five or ten years out from their divorce. It looks like they all were within probably the last. Two or three years. That's so it's still kind of fresh. Still kind of fresh. Yeah, that's the yeah, impression but, I'm getting. But here's the other thing, which I think would be very, very hard. And you now are making me feel like I need to go watch the show. But anyway, um, but I think the other thing that's very hard is that when there is a divorce, it's not just the couple; it's also their friends and their family. And when you get divorced, typically the friends and the family 
really don't like the other person, right? I mean, there, there is animosity about this person did you wrong or this person cheated on you or this person didn't treat you well or this person, whatever, betrayed you. And so I think that a real challenge that a couple would have to try to make it work again is they're also working against all of this negativity from the people in their lives who, in theory, you would want to be supporting this. And I think that's very hard to do once you've watched somebody you care about go through a divorce. Yeah, uh, that's that's a huge factor. And that, and that's through one episode that hasn't been brought up yet. I mean, we haven't heard any of these and we don't know what's really going on in these people's lives back home, but there are a couple of couples that are on this big D show. There's six of them. There's six divorce couples that they brought on, but judging by the previews, it looks like they're bringing more in um, as the season goes on, but it it's looking like there are a couple that are saying I'm using this time to maybe see if I can get back with my ex. And I, I'm curious to see how it plays out. It's a fascinating one because in reality TV, I feel like we've exhausted every single thing. And I was like, well, this is kind of a new idea because yeah, we've seen shows where you vote people off and we've seen shows where there's one lead and a, a bunch of singles. I don't think we've ever seen a show like this where you have divorced couples all living together, but yet they're forced to date each other. And I'm I'm fascinated by it. I think you should watch it. It's on right after Temptation Island. Uh, it's it's okay. uh, it's an automatic DVR for me. I really enjoyed the first episode. I'm invested in these couples now. I want to see because some are still bickering. I think the funny part is they make them sleep together in the same room, but different beds. They have their wedding photos and all their photos from when they were together up on the man <laughs> up on the mantles in the room. Like it's kind of funny, but also a psychological experiment. I would think. Because maybe sleeping in the same room with your ex, you know, brings back those feelings. And maybe you think you're falling for your ex again when are you really? Like, I find it all fascinating. I'm I'm looking, I'm really excited to see how this show kind of pans out. Um, well, that, that again, I'm going to remind you, that would be the misattribution of arousal, yeah. right? That you're in the situation, you are away from your job, you're away from all of the things. I mean, that's the challenge with when you asked me earlier, are they really falling in love? I mean, you don't, you don't know what the person is like when you're not going to your day-to-day life and coming home, having had a bad day at work and seeing how the person treats a waiter at Olive Garden or whatever it is. And so part of the issue is these couples are often Costa Rica. I'm sure they're in a beautiful place on a beach, not wearing a lot of clothes, drinking a lot, but the day in day out pressure of, their kids, their job, their neighbors, their disagreements about money or religion or sex or whatever, those aren't around. And so that's one of the challenges in terms of people get divorced because there's some fundamental issues that they have. And those aren't going to be resolved by just sleeping in a room with the person, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's very easy to fall back into this complacency of, oh, you know, I remember when things were you know, because I think most of these divorce couples, I think they even said it kind of on the first episode, like, hey, when, we, when things were going good with us, they were great. But our bad times were really bad, you know, and that's kind of what led to the divorce or somebody there was there's definitely been some infidelity between these couples. And, you know, one guy wants to get back with his ex-wife and one woman wants to get back with her ex-husband and he wants no part of it. And, and it's just it's really, really interesting. And not only that, like I said, They are now the only options, at least through from what I can see, the only options that you can date on that island are the other are the other couples. So you're 
you're mingling with these couples and getting to know them, but yet your ex-wife might want to go on a date with one of this one of the the other couples, the male in the couple, and that's got to be weird as well because now you're watching your ex go on another date, which I'm assuming could be part of this misattribution again because you're just getting mad that she's with another man and you're thinking, oh, now because she's with another man, that means, and I'm bothered by this, that means I must love her. It's like not necessarily true. Right. No, no, absolutely. And that's also like, you know, we love that that we can't have, right? So that's the idea of like, oh, wait, somebody else thinks my wife or my ex-wife or whatever is really hot. Maybe I really overlooked this. Yeah, uh, and this is that's why this is going to be a fascinating experiment. I'm really interested to see if somebody, if one of these couples that is divorced, ends up getting back together at the at the end of this thing. I'm I'm really curious to see if it happens, and then if it if they do, you know, does it last? I don't want to sit here and right. say, you know, good luck, guys, but you were in fantasy land out there in Costa Rica. Now you got to get back to the idea of actually being a couple and you know, you, you have a past together and now you got to convince all your friends and family. Oh no, 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 We're good this time around. It's like, okay, you know, I'm sure they're going to be supportive, but they're also going to, you know, have their doubts for sure. You know, because we, we don't know how bad these divorces were. They just said, Hey, would they get, we were married three or four years. We got married young and we divorced and we had some issues with money or infidelity or whatever. So, we don't know the true, true issues of all these couples on the show, but I, I, I think it will be fascinating to find out. You definitely need to watch it. Go put, definitely go put it on your DVR. Okay, your I'm DVR totally putting it. on my DVR. And and here's my question though: Are they paid? What's their incentive? I'm What's sure. The, I'm sure there's. Wrong? I'm sure there's payment to go on this show. Yeah, I don't know for a fact, but I gotta believe there is. All these couples that are going on are payment now are paid to to go on at in, in some aspect because you got to get you got to you know pack up and leave your life for however long it took to film this show probably three weeks or a month nobody's doing that for free so i gotta believe that you got paid um i guess one thing now the one thing was that i didn't know and now i'm still confused and i'll guess i'll find out tonight as we record this on wednesday is i thought this when i heard the concept of the big d i thought it was divorced couples going to a, a villa a resort in costa rica and the people, and it was going to be like Temptation Island, that they're just going to bring in a bunch of single people that they can date. I didn't realize the only people they can date are the other couples. But now in a preview, I saw that they are bringing, they might be bringing in a few people who are singles but are divorced themselves, but they're not coming on with their significant other. So I don't know. I, don't, I, guess, I guess we need more episodes. But um, either way, they don't have a ton of options outside of the, they're not bringing in like 10 single men and single women divorced or not it's not like that it is you get to choose between the other the other divorced couples on this island that we've that we've brought on so um yeah i i think it's going to be really really interesting to see what happens and if any of these couples are still together like i I have no idea i don't want to know the spoilers i'm gonna write it out just like everyone else but yeah definitely uh Definitely watch that. It's right. I mean, talk about a two-hour block on Wednesday night where you can just get sucked into reality <laughs> TV. Temptation Island followed by followed by this. I mean, um, again, uh, Temptation Island, great show. Love the fact that these people put it themselves out there. But anybody really at a crossroads in a relationship would never in a million years 
think that Temptation Island is the way to find out if the person you're with is the one you're really meant to be with, because it's not. I think we no, can't in fact, I think if, if you're thinking about going on Temptation Island with your significant other, you already have the answer that you're not, right? I mean, it's just like as soon as you're having that thought, um, clearly the relationship is not going to work out. Yeah, and I say that, but there is there's there is one couple that uh, went on. It was season three, uh, and at the end of it, decide you know he said can't live without you. He proposed to her. They got engaged, and they have since gotten married. I believe they're the only couple in in the previous four seasons. So sixteen couples. I believe they're the only couple that's still together. But they, but weren't they also very? I think I know which couple that I, I. I literally think I know what couple that you're thinking about. But, but weren't they also very um, restrained in their interactions with the singles? Yeah, she was Kirsten. Uh, he was for sure, right? Yeah, Kirsten was. Kirsten was, and um, I'm always forget. It's Kirsten, and uh, I forgot his name, but. Yeah, they were. I mean, he was having a little bit of fun, and the clips that she got to see at Bonfire were, you know, a couple girls dancing on him and giving him a lap dance, and she was kind of worried there for a little bit, but he never strayed in any He would never had physical contact with anyone, never kissed anybody, never slept in the same bed with any other girl. It was just a lot of fun, and they were a couple that had been together 11 years. This is not like, because most of these other couples right. are like, we've right. been together a year and a half. It's like, really? Okay. <laughs> like... You probably are going to break up from this, uh, but they had been together. Like I think they were high school sweethearts. There was also that factor. So, yeah, it made sense. And maybe the show did that on purpose. Like maybe they, you know, knew that when they were casting these two. Like you know what, we need a couple. We need a successful couple out of the show. We think these two could do it. So let's let's cast them. And um, and they got it. But yeah, they're they're the only couple I believe that is still together outside of there might have been one other one, but. At the most, two out of 16, and that's not good numbers. So, um, Well, and I think there are probably a lot of couples on Temptation Island who, even if they were maybe thinking about staying together, I bet watching Temptation Island back, the whole thing, and I know they see little, like, video clips or whatever throughout, but that's also pretty brutal. And we've certainly seen times in The Bachelor, Bachelorette in which, like, the couple is together, and then they start watching the whole show, and it goes really awry, right? Then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, and so I think part of it is it's like you have to go through the experience, but then when you watch your partner go through the experience, if your partner, I mean, there are certainly some couples in Temptation Island that, you know, that were the, what was it, David, who had like the two-on-one, like with, right? Oh, yeah, was yeah. Was it David and Kate? Is that right? Yeah, David, uh, he, the one who had a, threesome in the shower and had a threesome yeah, in the bed. Yeah. yeah i mean i think i think the threesome in the shower would be very hard to move beyond <laughs> yeah they're they're done yeah they're <laughs> they, well, the funny thing was i believe if i'm not mistaken they actually got they somehow made it through and then when they filmed the reunion show they were still together but then at the reunion show one of the singles blurts out like girl he's been trying to hit me up ever since and i've slept with him <laughs> post-show and then after that, they were pretty much done. Yeah, like, this yeah. guy was a just compulsive liar. And yeah, it, it is it, it is a, a show that you can't really, I don't know, take too seriously. It's great entertainment to watch, but yeah, if you're going on this show thinking this 
30 days away from my girlfriend is going to let me know whether or not she is the one for me is is probably not the right thinking <laughs> because that's why it's called temptation island they don't they're not putting people on this show that are just going to sit on their hands or twiddle their thumbs while eight singles prance around them for a month you know they want people to give in to temptation and you know i think mark does an excellent job hosting the show and asking the right questions on how he gets to the root. It seems like this show is more about getting to the roots of why you came to the island in the first place outside of the TV aspect of it. It's more about, okay, you guys say this is the issue in your relationship, but what I'm seeing when I see you guys look at clips of your significant other with somebody else, I'm seeing something totally different as to why you guys are here. And it seems like that's what ends relationships on this show is they realize, oh, shit. What we thought was the issue in our relationship really isn't the issue. It's actually this and resentment I hold towards her for something that she did or resentment I hold towards him for something he did. And it turns into that. And then they realize, oh, shit, you know what? Maybe we're not made for each other. Um, but hey, it's well, great, and then great that's entertainment. That's probably a good thing, right? Yeah. But then that's also probably a good thing because, listen, it's far better to figure out you don't want to marry somebody than to marry somebody, then get divorced, and then have to go on JoJo and Jordan's show, right? <laughs> I mean, it's much better to figure out this is not the right person. Yeah. And do it before a marriage and possible kids come into play, for sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, cut yeah. it off, cut it off early, for sure. Um, yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate this. We'll definitely uh, have you on in the future. Go watch Temptation Island and the Big D. Add it to your Wednesday night watching um, or watch it whenever. But just know it's on on Wednesday night. So set your DVR. And uh, I'd really love to maybe at the end of the Big D, end of this season, uh, to get your thoughts on uh, what you thought of how everything went down, how it was handled, the couples themselves. You're only behind one episode, so I'm sure you can uh, no, hey, watch that I, one online. Wow. While we're talking, I have DVR'd it. Okay. So, so yeah, so I'm in, and absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. And my goodness, imagine uh, couples that we thought wouldn't make it: Jordan and JoJo. There we go. There you go. Uh, exactly. So, <laughs> and that, and and they have they have quite the story as well. So, for sure, um, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll definitely catch up with you in the future. Sounds good. Take care, Steve. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, to Dr. Catherine Sanderson uh, for that interview. So much fun. Uh, psychology really does interest me. I, I'm 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 fascinated by it. I wish I put it would have put more time to it in in college. Like I said, I took a psychology of marriage class that I really enjoyed, but then I just never took enough hours to have it as my minor. But I've always been interested in it. As you know, I've always been fascinated by other people's relationships. And I feel like I can give good advice as a third party that's neutral to anybody who emails in or asks questions. Um, but, hey, it's also also good to hear from people who are professionals on this. And Dr. Catherine, certainly with um, a bachelor's degree in psychology from Stanford and a master's and a doctoral degree from psychology from Princeton, knows what the hell she's talking about. So definitely going to have her on. I, I'm glad that I turned her on to the Big D and she will be watching it and uh, probably have her on at the end of the season of the Big D so we can discuss what she thinks about it. So uh, thank you so much to Dr. Catherine for coming on. Please subscribe and Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. It definitely helps the podcast. Rate and review if you'd like as well. And we'll be back next week with a very, very interesting interview. Fingers crossed. I'm set to record next Tuesday. I think that's the day we have set in stone. I don't want to give it up. You know how I don't like giving up, but... 
This is an interview that I would say seven or eight years ago, there's no chance in hell. Um, that ever this person probably ever would have been on this podcast. So I can't wait to talk to them and it'll be next Thursday's weekly podcast uh, or sorry, um, yeah, my weekly Thursday podcast. So hopefully we get that done. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it for Dr. Catherine Sanderson. I'm reality Steve, and I'll talk to you next week.